say that some episodes feel like they're never ending <laughs> next time on 80s high artax atreyu and the luck dragon we're going back to the never ending story i have not seen the never ending story i think since it came out in the theater yo awesome yes that's great so i know basically nothing about it other than atreyu and then uh, the pound puppy that he flies on the pound puppy <laughs> Falcor, the luck dragon. Thank you! Aaron knows what's up. Falcor, so. The Millennium Falcor, okay. That's right, everybody. Welcome back to 80s High, the podcast specifically, tenderly, and creatively crafted just for you to help you revisit the best movies, television, games, snacks, and fun music from the 80s. We're your hosts. I'm Ben. I'm Chris, and this is the bespoke earworm that is 80s High. Bespoke earworm. I like that. For your artisanal listening pleasure. This is a handcrafted, open-ranged podcast. It's small batch here at 80s High. Small batch podcast. That's kind of true. It's true. That is true. We have a dense homeroom, so let's. I want to get through some stuff. So the first thing out of the gate, we discovered Harley Quinn this week on HBO. The animated TV series. This is some of the funniest writing and cartooning I've seen in years. Here's why I love it. DC generally is like a pretty somber property. Yeah, they've taken it that way. And also you think of a lot of DC, there's so much focus, again, on the male characters, especially in the Batman world. It's Batman, it's Joker, it's Robin, it's Riddler, Two-Face. Harley Quinn is so funny. It's like Archer and Rick and Morty comedy, Hmm, like very adult humor. Okay. And understandably, kind of like Birds of Prey, the movie, it's like all focused on the Harley story and mm. the femme fatales of Gotham. Crying laughter. So funny. So good. Nice. Topical tennis. I'll, I'll hand it to you. What do you have in homeroom? Well, just a funny thing that we did together this weekend is we, a friend of ours, had a birthday viewing party and he wanted to watch the movie Nightbreed. It's 1990, so it's like just outside. It was conceived of the in the 80s. It had to have been. I mean, there you go. It was <laughs> principal photography, editing, all done in the 80s. Right. So it's a Clive Barker monster freak show kind of a yeah. uh, romp action romp i'm gonna say comedy with big old air quotes it was very bizarre but it was fun because we watched it very much in the spirit of mst3k oh we yeah. were just in the chat blowing it up with jokes left and right and that to me made it a thousand times better so i felt like we were channeling a couple episodes ago where we talked about mystery science theater it was great in your media consumption if you don't have enough sweaty pectoral muscles in your life tidy whities don't forget 1980s tidy whities oh my god this movie was made for you yes indeed uh can you remember your first paid job that you had to fill out like a w2 or a 4-4 like what was your first job I worked at a little sub shop. It was a local, let's call it Subway-inspired, but not Subway-named place. It's not New Jersey Michael's? 
It is not uh, Jersey Mike's. Nope. <laughs> is it also known as Johnny Jimmy's? You will never name it. It's not. It's a regional. It was a regional chain at the time. Okay. So on our nostalgia podcast, we talked about how there's this phenomenon where you can be nostalgic for a period in time that you never lived through. And I was thinking like, I was trying to think of like a really good example of that. And you think of like uh, Happy Days mm-hmm. and like Grease. These were produced long after that post-World War II, like, woo, kind of fun diner 50s thing. But people loved that property. And my first job, I was a waiter at Johnny Rockets. Oh, yeah. Which is like a 50s-inspired diner. And I look back at, like, my coworkers and even our manager and even the people who, like, frequent it. None of those people were alive in the 50s. Once in a while, I'd get someone who was around during that time. But it was definitely, it made me realize, like, oh, I supported one of those properties that was, like, nostalgic for a time the people mm-hmm. here did not live through. And it's just really interesting to have that realization and be like, oh, yeah, Johnny Rockets, 50s nostalgia. Was this apropos of anything or just a thought that came to Shower your head thought. Uh, while you just, were just I was reminiscing on our episodes. Scrubbing away, okay. And nostalgia, and I was like, oh, yeah, okay. that thing about the thing. I mean, you know, ideally we have some uh, some millennials and, I don't know, maybe, maybe a few Gen Zers who are bored and have nothing better to do. Listen to our podcast. Didn't exactly. really live in the 80s, but they're enjoying the little nostalgia wave. Exactly. It's educational. It's a growth opportunity. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Besides sweaty pecs and tidy weddies, how was your weekend? So it was good. So the other thing that happened this weekend I just wanted to mention was the last episode that dropped as of when we're recording now was the Sweets and Treats episode. Yeah. And today is Easter. Oh, yeah. I went to the store and I was like, I have to get the Reese's peanut butter egg. The one I told you about with like 90% peanut butter. If you had waited till tomorrow, it would have been like 40 cents. Well, it cost zero cents because they were out. So I was really bummed, but they had dark chocolate peanut butter cups by Reese's. And I remember we were talking and I was like, I've kind of moved on to Trader Joe peanut butter, dark chocolate peanut butter cups. And so I was like, I want to see what a Reese's dark chocolate peanut butter cup tastes like. So I got a package of it. I just want to clarify, was this Reese's or Reese's? Which brand did you get? This was Ricky's Pickies. Ricky's Pickies. Okay, Amazing. Yeah, so Rizzo's Pizzo's. No, so I got the uh, the dark chocolate peanut butter cups. And sorry, Reese's, keep your dark chocolate peanut butter cups oh. where you're at. TJ yeah. for the win. It was no contest, Ben. We're not talking like, oh, this is slightly better. It was zero contest. Wow. That's my Easter sweet treat wrap up, roll up report. My last little thing is this week I mentioned to someone that we had done the Miracle on Ice. Mm. And I received an um, actually. Now, to be fair, it's not an um, actually, in its purest form. It was, they they brought up a fact about the Miracle on Ice, and I couldn't confirm or remember if we had covered that. And they were irate. It didn't air live in America. It, mm-hmm. it, it was broadcast on tape delay in ABC. And this is just, if people didn't listen, this is the 1980 US Olympics ice hockey match between USSR and USA, correct? Yes, right. ABC wanted, of course, to broadcast it live okay. at 8 p.m. Eastern time. But the International Ice Hockey Federation could not get the Soviet Union to agree because that oh. meant it would be 4 a.m. Moscow time. That's And, early. like, nobody would watch it at 4 a.m. 1 a.m. was hard enough. But a- ABC said uh, they promised they wouldn't do any spoilers on air, like, while the game was going on. And also what's interesting, because it was taped, there were actually parts of the game that got cut when they actually broadcast it. Oh. So they could cut in footage from the men's slalom event. I mean, that's what everyone comes for, is the slalom. <laughs> is the slalom. Is the, is the, you come for the slalom, you stay for the miracle on ice. 
That's all I have. That's my update. That was a packed home room. Very exciting, though. But uh, we got to get those announcements going because, you know, we've, we've got class today. We can't dally. That's true. Good morning, 80s High. This is Miles with today's morning announcements. For those of you still missing out, there are currently two dozen members of the Baseball Furies standing in the school parking lot. Here to teach you how subscribing to 80s High podcast on Instagram could be good for your health. Today's lunch menu will be franken beans with a side of broccoli and a fudge cup dessert. Teachers, be sure to prop open your windows. Before you leave, ensure you join the class of 80s High, ensuring you know talking topics in advance, participate in meaningful surveys, and even sign up to lend your voice to the show. Email 80shighpodcast at gmail.com to join. That's 80s. After school today, the Science Club will be experimenting with advanced robotics. The school board asks you to be on the lookout for any large Eastern European men during this time. Thank you, and have a tubular day. Go Mogwise! Okay, well, one might say this long, long homeroom felt like a never-ending story. Ah! It was, it was just trying to set the stage a little bit. But every good story must have an origin. And there's only one class in which we can learn those origins. History! History! I smell terrible because I flew a luck dragon to get to this class. You have to imagine that that is not a um, a sweet smelling creature. As far as we know, the rock biter does not have any pores or sweat. So maybe he just smells like rock. That might be the only one. All I'm going to say is some sweaty person or team of people were inside those creatures for hours. For far too long. Baking. Gross. It's like the Jabba costume. It was like, what, five or six people, you know, moving Jabba around? This film was largely filmed in the summer, and there were some heat problems. Like, parts of the set were melting and things like that. Exactly. There it is. So, you know, I gave the reasons on the last show of why I picked this movie. Yeah. But the other reason I really was excited to pick this is there are things from this movie, particularly quotables, that are just in, like, the cultural zeitgeist. That, like, Mm. people will say without even thinking never-ending story, but it's just part of the vocabulary. I was just walking down the street a couple of weeks ago and someone was screaming Moonchild out their <laughs> window of a moving car. This kid. We're going to get to that, of course. Exactly. See, it's everywhere. So before we dive into this, could you tell our listeners, what is the never ending story? Ben, I thought you would never, ever ah! ask. What is the never ending story? This is a movie. Starring Bastion Balthazar Bucks. Great name. A bookworm kid turned delinquent who commits a series of crimes after escaping a trio of persistent bullies. Our anti-hero loiters in a bookstore, refusing to leave after the shop owner asks him to, and perjures himself by claiming to have read over 100 books by the age of 10. Boldface lie. <laughs> after an argument ensues, he shoplifts the eponymous book, claiming he will return the stolen property later, which, as we all know, is a legally indefensible act. (laughs) The defendant then becomes truant by skipping classes and criminally trespassing into an employee's-only part of the school to consume the stolen book, talk to himself, and utilize school property for personal use. (laughs) Through a fantasy sequence, it is revealed that his only true wish is to seek revenge on his bullies. Not have more time with his deceased mother. Not repair a rocky relationship with his widowed father. (laughs) And certainly not to make amends for all of the aforementioned crimes. No. 
He decides to double down and ante up on even more serious misdemeanors, leading to personal injury and emotional distress of his bullies (laughs) turned victims. The prosecution intends to prove that these are the telltale warning signs of a dangerous criminal in the making. That Hold on. That's your plot summary? That's what happened in that movie. Our, our a kid li- commits a series of crimes in revenge. Our listeners right now that's are like, it. I thought we were doing the never-ending story. What plot is this? <laughs> I love your interpretation, though. No, all of that's true. Everything I said happened in this movie. It is at one time both true and also how I don't think anyone has ever described this movie before. I had to write that down. I was like, God, if Ben doesn't ask me to do the summary, I'm going to have to butt in and say, Ben, might I offer an alternative? That is very impressive. Just so our conversation in chemistry class will make a little more sense. Why don't you give the, uh, let's just say the standard. The boring. uh, Description. The standard description of what this movie is actually all about. Sure. It's a fantasy movie from the 80s where a child is reading this book and the characters in the book are – you're acting it out. You're seeing that. It's kind of your traditional fantasy of a hero moving from interesting character to interesting character along their quest. And you you sort of learn that the people in this world in this book can hear Bastion. He is influencing their world and vice versa. He becomes aware that he is influencing the world as well to try and save Fantasia. Well, Atreyu, Atreyu is the- Right, uh, Atreyu is the hero in the the, book. The child hero in the book who's supposed to save Fantasia through a series of boring plot pieces that we're going to talk about. Sorry, (laughs) I warned Ben that I'm going to have a lot of sass for this. So if you're like a diehard defendant of this movie, I'm going to just apologize in advance. You're going to hate me at the end of this episode, and I'm okay with that. And I want to point out, I don't dislike your plot summary. I just wanted to, I wanted to make sure people knew that they had no, tuned into the good. right They're episode. Good. That they were they came for a never-ending story and we're going to do it. I also want to say this is based off of a book by a German author. Mm-hmm. And the book's name in Alf Deutsch is Die Indliche Geschichte. That's correct. Actually, this movie is based off of the first half-ish of the book. Right. We're going to get to the sequel, I know. But there was sure. a sequel movie that is r- very loosely based on the second half of the book. I do have another question for you right at the gate, though. We mentioned that the story, the, the actual fantastical story, takes place in Fantasia. You and I know how litigious Disney is. In Disney's animated movie, Fantasia, came out in 1940. Yeah, how on earth did Disney not come after them? And just sue them out of existence. I have no idea. Because in the German version, in the book, I think it's called Fantastica. Yeah, right. But then in English, they were like, no, 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 Fantasia. Disney did this cool thing. Let's do it like them. Tell me, do you have any details on that? How they got away with that? No. The closest I could get is that Fantasia is an Italian word, which is defined as musical composition that sounds extemporaneous. So maybe it's actually like just a common, what do you call that when it's in the common realm or something? I just thought that they would somehow... Say, like, no, Fantasia is a specific trademarked title name. As they do with everything. Right. But anyway, okay. So they got away with it. So like you said, 19, and it's a lot more recent novel than I thought. So the novel, 1979, uh, by author Michael Ende. You want to give us again in German? How's it it go in German? I'm sorry. I said it wrong earlier. Die Unendliche. I said the endless. You said the end, yeah. I said the ending story. It's the ending story. Es tut mir leid. Die und Indliche Geschichte. Very good. So this German film producer, Bernd Eichinger, saw his children reading the book, and they urged him to make a film about it. And he was really reluctant. He agreed to do it, though, when he got the rights to the book. I was, And I want to ask you, from the Sweet Treats episode, what was that terminology where, like, kids nagging? Like, the influence- Pester power. Pester power. 
This movie only got made because of German children pester power. <laughs> oh, man. So the screenplay, co-written, directed by Wolfgang Peterson, which is his first English language film. Mm. And so you're seeing a pattern here of things that are going to lead up to what we'll talk a lot about in chemistry. Uh, so it comes out in Germany on April 6th. It comes out in the U.S. on July 20th of the same year, 1984. It's mostly shot in Berlin, but the real world shots, you know, where Bastion's running around the city streets, the bullies, uh, the really, really uplifting breakfast with his widowed father. It's up in the couve. It's in, it's in Vancouver, right next door. Apparently, there's a very um, famous landmark in Vancouver, the Gastown Vancouver Steam Clock. I've been by there, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. So it gets a very obvious shot. I didn't recognize it at first, but after watching the movie and kind of researching it, and I saw that, I was like, oh, that's that area, because it's got like the brick street intersection. Right, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So the book author, Ende, is at first really happy that it's going to be turned into a movie, and he gets paid the equivalent of $50,000 for the rights. However, Wolfgang Peterson, the one who's writing the screenplay and directing it, deviates bonkers from the book. Yes. And when Ende finds this out, he gets so mad. And one of the most critical plot points is that it's much clear in the book that Bastion's creativity and imagination is influencing the story. Mm. And like the, what he's imagining are the characters and all that kind of stuff. And that's really, it takes a long time to kind of figure out in the movie. But Ende, when he saw the movie, the, the original book author calls the film, quote, a gigantic melodrama of kitsch, commerce, plush, and plastic. Mm-hmm. Not a fan. I'm with you, Mike. At the, t- at the time the movie was produced, it's the most expensive movie ever made outside of the U.S. or the Soviet Union. Oh, you missed it. He tried to shut down the production. Wait, and they tried to shut it down? He said either shut down the production or I will sue you. He actually did sue them, but he lost. But he lost. And then we all lost. Uh, what is the lawsuit? Like, you bought the rights, but you're not following my story close enough? What what grounds does he have? They own the rights to it. He has moral grounds for sure. <laughs> He may not have legal grounds, but butchering? Is there a uh, artistic butchering uh, clause? I don't know. Oh, my God. I would just love – you know you know what documentary needs to get made or like mockumentary, like best in show kind of thing? What's that? Is Ende trying to sabotage the production of the film? Wait, the never Ende story? Oh! And like he's trying to make it – the German word you said, die endlich Geschichte. And it's like him like trying to like burn it down or like sabotage the snacks for the extras for the day. Like yeah. just him trying to stop it. Your movie has been ruined. <laughs> you will have to shut down forever. So like you said, The NeverEnding Story, the movie, only covers the first half of the novel. There is a sequel that really roughly follows the second half called The Next Chapter. And then there's a third movie called Escape from Fantasia, which is completely off the rails, has nothing to do with the book. Yeah. Now, something a lot of people remember from this movie, again, we'll get into more in chemistry, is the title theme song. So it was composed by uh, Giorgio Moroder. Keith Forsey did the lyrics and is performed by Christopher Hamill, who was once the lead singer of Kajagugu, and Beth Anderson is the other singer. Uh, but the movie performed really well at the box office, actually. It grossed $100 million worldwide on a budget of roughly $26 million. Some good hay to make. Last but not least, I feel like you're going you're gonna to find your spirit animals in here. So I've got the critical review of what the critics said in the States when it came out. My spirit luck dragon. Let's do it. 
you know, way before like the internet and like reaction videos were a thing, Siskel and Ebert, uh, so Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel were the two most famous movie critics ever. And they had a TV show where they would do every movie. Like ev- everyone cared what Siskel and Ebert had to say. That was the big thing for a long, for decades. They were the guys. So Ebert, uh, who also was a, a columnist for the Chicago Times, uh, gave it three out of four stars and praised its visual effects, saying that an entirely new world has been created because of it. We should also frame up, Ebert is usually pretty positive of almost every movie, but Siskel, always the yin to the yang. He said the film's special effects and art direction were cheap-looking. Falcor the Luck Dragon resembled a sort of stuffed toy you'd win at a county fair and throw out when you left. Ugh. Sick burns. <laughs> I'm loving burn this. Just, oh. He also referred to Noah Hathaway, who I believe plays Bastion, right? Yeah, right. Okay. As a dullard. Ouch. <laughs> ouch. He's a child. And said the film was much too long, even after Ebert pointed out the film was only 90 minutes. Right? It is only 90 minutes. He's like, still too long. I found a few other uh, fantastic reviews as well. Yeah, keep going. Keep going. Vincent Canby panned the film as a graceless, humorless fantasy for children. Uh, this was in the New York Times. His criticism stated that parts of the film sounded like the pre-teenager's guide to existentialism. <laughs> and he further criticized the tacky special effects and the construction of the dragon. He said it looked like an impractical bath mat. Right? Ouch. Wow. Truer words could not be spoken. Yeah, I thought those were harsh. And just to try and provide a little balance, I found one, besides Ebert, one other positive famous review. Oh. So Joshua Tyler of Cinema Blend referred to it as one of the scant few true fantasy masterpieces. That is all, honestly, for the origin story I have for a story that will not end. Mm. Anything else from its inception, its production, anything else from that? No, I think we need to run to chemistry and see what sort of cocktail is a brewing with this uh, with this little this little movie. We'll be like little mountain gnomes who are trying to get published in some science magazine of the order. You know, bubbles and flasks everywhere, uh, kaleidoscope telescopes for some yeah. looking at big-breasted sphinxes. That's where we're going to go in chemistry. Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! <laughs> fly, Falcor, fly! I smell like impractical bath mat. I gotta stop taking that dog between classes. Yeah, I told you just to walk. It's just down the hall and around the corner, buddy. Uh, And you know, I keep flying on him really high, but I feel like I'm developing a fear, a totally normal fear of heights that would make a lot of sense if one had flown a dragon way in the sky. I got here much faster because I was riding my stone bicycle, motorcycle, whatever oh, that yeah. thing was. What my is stone that? bike. His my big, stone bike. Is that a stone big wheel? I don't even know what that is. It looks like a steamroller. And then you find out it's really just uh, Rockathor's. I don't know the guy's name. Doesn't matter. Rockathor's. Uh, Rock biter. His Flintstones bicycle, basically. <laughs> Rockathor. Uh, it's a Flintstones bike is what it, it is. is. No, it totally is. It totally is. So these guys got lawsuits from Disney and also Hanna-Barbera for yeah. just ripping off yeah. Flintstones. Mickey Mouse and Fred Flintstone coming <laughs> out swinging. So I was trying to come up with really clear – what my really clear memories are as a child of NeverEnding Story. Really excited about all the different puppets, like all the main characters in NeverEnding Story. It's just like a thing as a child really grabbed onto. Right. Especially when Bastion gets the NeverEnding Story, the book – Mm. And there's this sort of like um, this haunting light keyboard music 
It's like, dun, 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 dun. That, like, triggered a thing in my brain when I rewatched the movie last week. Oh, okay. And I really remember as a kid loving the Orin, like, trying to draw the Orin, the two snakes on the cover that come together. And in all honesty, I remember the sort of sales pitch from The NeverEnding Story stuck with me of, like, the adventure that can be found from reading books. Hmm. There's sort of a message there that, like, books can be imaginative and creative and exciting if you just take the time to sit down and read them. You know, kind of mm. like we covered in, in uh, Choose Your Adventure. Right. That was a memory I had as a kid. Is like this movie made, reminded you that reading can be really exciting. That storytelling can be really exciting. Excited enough to commit truancy. Yep. <laughs> and breaking and entering. You said, I want to confirm if this was a real memory or not. You said you think you saw it in the theater when it came out. Yeah. So to the best of my knowledge, I would have been about five at the time. I want to say I saw it in the theater. What I remembered of the movie was I remembered about a kid reading a book. I thought it was in a library, actually, like somewhere like hidden away. I thought it was in the attic of a library. And I remember the the white dragon. I couldn't remember anything about it other than there was that white creature. I remembered the main character's name was Atreyu. But I thought Atreyu was the kid who then becomes the protagonist and the story. Yeah. Like I thought the frame story kid and the protagonist uh, book kid were the same person. Like he gets sucked into it? Like yeah. Bastion gets pulled into the book? Right. I didn't uh, realize okay. it was two different kids. That's like um, Page Master with Macaulay Culkin, where he's like pulled in and he becomes an animated character in the fantasy world. Yeah. So I remembered that. I don't remember. I did not remember much of the plot or the particulars. And of course, I remembered the song. Well, I remembered the the chorus of the song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That everybody sure. remembers. Did you probably use pester power? Like, was there something in a trailer you saw on TV that triggered you like, I need someone, I need an adult to take me to this movie, or you got drugged to it, or that memory is lost to time? That is lost to time. I do not remember the circumstances of going to see it other than, it was probably like, oh, it's a kid's movie. I don't know if it came out in the summer, you know, something to do kind of a thing. My grandma took my brother and I or something. Yeah, it was the summer, yeah, July, July 84. Okay, there you go. I've been very careful to not go through every single scene in this movie. So you can go watch this on your own if you so choose. Mm. But there are a lot of highlight scenes that I just, we, you and I need to hash out because there's some questions. Again, this is a children's fantasy movie. The second line in the movie, Bastion's in the kitchen having a cereal and his dad comes in. Dad's very serious. And the second line in the whole movie is, I had another dream, dad, about mom. Like, right off the top, you're like, this is a widowed family. These guys are struggling with it. And there, Bash and his father have this horribly strained, uncomfortable relationship. Like, they cannot talk to each other at all. And that's like a thing as a kid, you don't focus on. But as an adult, I go back and I was like, oh my god, this movie starts so tragically. Yeah. So, the kitchen scene carries on. And the dad pulls out a little black book from his pocket and he flips through every 80s childhood trope that he's like written down. He's like, which one? How do I want to kick this movie off? And so the dad's line to Bastion goes, you're old enough to get your head out of the clouds and put your feet on the ground. Stop daydreaming and start facing your problems. How many freaking movies the plot has been around parents telling their kids to stop being creative and like get serious? It's like the uh, the principal and Uncle Buck, who's mad at the the little girl that you know Uncle Buck's his family that he's watching, and you know the mean old principal, like she's a silly heart, a daydreamer, you know all this kind of stuff, and he's like, yeah, that's what kids are, right? Why are you trying to stamp out their joy? 
I mean, maybe hag. Hag. Thank you. I was Hags. waiting for the hag. Everyone. I know our listeners count at home. They've got like a, you know how like on helmets when you like, when like fighter jets shoot down other planes, you put like a little fighter jet sticker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got, yeah. Our, I know our fans are collecting hag buttons for every Don't time. Don't they do in football, say, like for every touchdown or whatever? Yeah, exactly. So they're doing, they're sport doing ball, hag stickers. Sport ball sport reference. Ball reference. Um, hag. And what's your ever thing? Dirt bags. Dirt bags and hags. Oh, Absolutely. Maybe I just got lucky and grew up in a household that encouraged creativity. And maybe it is a rare thing. I don't know. But if you just watch 80s properties, it seems like adults are just trying to crush creativity in children everywhere. It's not just parents. It's just like our society in general tries to stamp out creativity. That's what the entire education process more or less has been for no the majority class, of it. Like, no art class. Just yeah. get serious. First things to get cut, you know. Anyway, yeah. Oh not, to get, not to get too far down that well, but it wasn't – Shocking, but also, yes, very tropey of the, you know. Yeah. When are you going to shape up and, I don't know, get a job? Was it? Right. <laughs> was it expecting like the kid to, like, get a paper route. Yeah. And he's like, I'm 11. What do you want me to do? Like, I, I imagine nowadays people would be like, my kid reads 100 books by the age of 10. Like, thank heavens. He's, yeah. you know, he's well learned and all that. So you mentioned that he's, you thought it was in a library, but he steals this book and he goes to the school's attic. How did you feel about the attic where he's hanging out? That is not a school attic ever. <laughs> Why not? That is the that it's is the attic of a old like Victorian era theater where stage performances are done. Right. It's not the attic of a modern school. Absolutely not. There's, there's even in the eighties. There's two full scale adult period dress pieces on like props. There's a literal skull on the shelf, and then everything is covered in like an inch of dust. I was just waiting for the wardrobe to open and then you could just pass on through to Narnia. Yes. Just not a school attic at all. It's so weird. So he starts reading the book, which begins, it was midnight in the howling forest. Uh, and so one of the first main characters we're introduced to is the rock biter. Can I introduce a few before we get to the rock biter? Well, that's true. That's true. That's fair enough. Yes. Go ahead. Because first off, we have the Mad Hatter. <laughs> the Mad Hatter ripoff. We have Smeelum, which I will submit to you as a creature that is 50% Smeagol on its way to Golem with a dash of Salacious Crumb, which is a little <laughs> creature that's on, speaking of Jabba, on Jabba's tail. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that's all we see of those two, pretty much. Like, they basically disappear, which I'm fine with because they were pointless characters, terrible, and one of them was hideous to look at. So, so another hot question. Matt Hatter, in this movie, his name is Teeny Weenie, and he's wearing a top hat. Can you wear a top hat and not be eccentric? No. Impossible. <laughs> I feel like I've never seen a movie where someone wearing a top hat was just a normal Unless it's person. Victorian era, to go back to that yet again. Yes. Like, you know, the uh, the Charles Dickens days where everybody wore them. Right. But in an era where you're one of the only people wearing a top hat. They're always crazy. They're always like a unique, like, goober. Well, isn't the whole point of the Mad Hatter is like the, the glue or some sort of something yes. in the constructions what drove them crazy? Going back to Harley Quinn, that's why there is the Mad Hatter villain in the Batman series because he's his brain's been destroyed by all the hat glue. Yeah. Now, what's fun, though, is the guy who plays Teeny Weenie, the actor's name is Deep Roy. And do you know what Deep Roy is famous for? I feel like you're going to tell me I'm going to be like, oh, yeah, he looked vaguely familiar. He is the Oompa Loompa in the modern Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the Tim Burton one. Oh, that's right. He's the guy who plays all of them. So again, Rockbiter is the species of this guy who shows up because they call him a Rockbiter. But his actual name is Pjorn Krakzark, which you never hear in the movie. For good reason. I remember as a kid, I was thinking the Rockbiter was so compelling that he was very cool. Mm. 
I know you already have hot takes on his Flintstones big wheelie. How else do you feel about the rock fighter? Uh, I was very neutral about it. Didn't love, didn't despise, just kind of, yeah, okay. I just, the size is really interesting, that it's a giant puppet compared to all the other puppets. And as a kid, like, that was sure. just kind of cool. I mean, he, he's your typical oaf where he's just doing things and causing chaos all around him and is more or less oblivious to it. Because right. he was, like, chomping on rocks and just basically landslides and rocks smashing everywhere. So I'm really glad you brought that up, because that was a concerning part for me. He, the only thing he eats is rock. Yeah. But he is also made of rock. Sure. So he is what he eats. He's a cannibal. He's a cannibal. Yeah. I was just trying to think in other like movies or television or properties, like an entity that also eats what it is made of. I mean, in Disney, going back to that, like Goofy's a dog, but then also Pluto's a dog. Does he eat dog? dog? Well, he doesn't eat dog, but Pluto's a dog. One of them is humanoid and one of them is a pet. Is there a Disney episode where Goofy go- breaks into a, sh- a dog shelter and eats a bunch oh, of dogs? Oh, gosh, I'm real hungry. Come here, Pluto. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> that, that was the dark days of, of Disney. That's one of those ones on Disney Plus where it has to put the like the boilerplate before it starts playing. I'm like, this is a different time when we Disney were after stuff. dark. Disney after dark. I have a real hot take philosophical question for you. Oh, geez. Okay. So in the movie, after we meet these guys, we're introduced to the nothing, which is what everyone's afraid of, and it's destroying Fantasia. Yes. Chris, by the time the movie was over, do you feel like you have a real confident, strong grasp on what the nothing is? I mean, to the extent possible, yes. I feel like you're not supposed to know fully what it is, and that's why it's terrifying. Okay. It's this vacuumous thing. It's not sentient. It's not purposeful. It just is. Right. And that's what makes it terrifying. I mean, I know, you know, one of the greatest fears, the fear is the unknown, and so they don't understand it. But in the movie, it just seems to be a pretty significant storm. Like, it's just a lot of wind and lightning and clouds and, like, Somehow earthquakes? I think it's meant to symbolize the nothing is like the loss of your creativity and of your childlike spirit, I think is what it's supposed to symbolize as best as I could still be paying attention at that time. So if you're not creative, you're nothing is what it's trying to tell you. You're nothing without your creativity. That might be the, uh, the thesis of this movie. I don't know. Hot take, Wolfgang. Okay. There are these main puppet characters, but then I sort of forgot there's this sort of council of the people of Fantasia at the top of the Empress's spire. So you probably read this. Spielberg helped cut the movie down for American audiences when Wolfgang wanted to bring it to the States. Ah. What's fun is there's a lot of American properties in that scene, like real quick shots. So if you go back and watch that scene again, you'll see Yoda, Chewbacca, C-3PO, some Ewoks, Mickey Mouse, E.T., and Gumby are all apparently in that scene. I don't know how any of that is possible. Right? Like, do we have sanctions on Germany? Like, how deep does this go? This is beyond corporate entertainment. Or maybe it just shows that this movie was so insignificant, they were like, ah, fine, whatever. Like, no one cares. <laughs> it's not true, though. It made $100 million, so I can't right? say that. Like, I'm just being still, salty. Yeah, I'm being it's salty. made. Crazy bank. So at this, at this council, they're talking that they need a hero who is a young boy based on Plains Native Americans. I mean, early on, we see Bastion, right when he wakes up, he's got a picture of a Native American over his bed, and he's got a picture of a Native American on his backpack. So I guess, like, if the story is supposed to be Bastion, imagine these characters, he's obsessed with Native Americans, that's where this hero comes from, but it just feels very out of the fish out of water. Yeah, I don't know if maybe, like, yeah, he was into westerns or something, I don't know. Next character we're introduced along this is Gamork, the giant wolf. 
And Gamork is weirdly the sort of like servant to the nothing. He's just like, it's inevitable. It's coming. Like you can't yeah. stop it. And he just hides in a cave the whole time. My partner and I rewatched this together this week. And when that came, I was like, ah, there's Gamork. And she was like, wait, that's Gamork? And I was like, yeah, that's that's the wolf. That's Gamork. And she goes, oh, I said that was my favorite puppet and he's terrifying. And no, I don't like him. So now we get to one of these most classic quotable scenes and instances from the movie where Atreyu is trying to cross the Swamp of Sorrows to find Morla, the Ancient One, for help. And his horse begins to sink into the swamp. Because it says if, if your spirits get too low, you can sink into the swamp kind of like quicksand. Right. Now, being that the only thing you remember from this movie was like Falcor, watching this scene now when he loses Artax into the swamp, how'd you feel? Okay, so my entire beef with this movie is it just feels like you're moving from set piece to set piece based on a very flimsy plot mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, that's not well constructed. And so I just felt like, oh, we're on to the next set piece. This didn't feel earned, I guess. It did not really have an effect on me. I can see how it would have an effect on particularly kids. I mean, the acting was fine for a movie that's a lot of kids screaming. Right, right, uh, right. So much screaming. So much screaming. You can tell a, a kid actor is not well-versed when they want to be emotional. They just scream at the top of their lungs rather than have any nuance to their performance. Right, right. Just not a little eye tremble and a little tear, but just screaming. I didn't realize until after I went back and looked at the uh, synopsis that uh, the reason he didn't sink is because he had the little medallion. Yeah, the Auron, the, the two snakes. The Auron, right, yeah. So that's what protected him from sinking, but obviously that was not extended to Artax. So you say screaming, and that's, I mean, that is one of the iconic things that comes out of this movie, is if you liked this childhood movie in the 80s, you would scream, Artax, because it's such a traumatic scene where he's like crying, trying to mm. pull his horse, and the horse is sinking and sinking. And, you know, if you're a kid and you see this movie, you're at an age that maybe you have a cat or a dog, you have a pet you're bonding with, and like, it's dying because it's just so sad. That's why it's sinking, because the horse is sad. And that is heartbreaking. Well, I, to be fair, I think that horse got a look at the script <laughs> and was like, I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. Yeah, he's like, there's got to be something better down here. So being that this is one of the most traumatic scenes of 80s children's movies, we did ask the class of 80s high, yes. describe a more tragic 1980s childhood movie scene than this scene. And um, the most common one that came back, actually, I mean, a lot of people agreed but they said Littlefoot's mother dying in The Land Before Time. Because in retrospect, that whole animated movie is about a young little brachiosaur dealing with the death of his mother, the loss of parents. Again, another mother lost childhood movie from this time. Oh, that's so common. Bambi. Bambi, right. Finding Nemo. Yeah, wow. Holy crap. Which is a more recent one, but still. Right, still kind of a trend. Someone else said E.T., which... I will still tell you, the one of the scenes that still haunts me from that entire movie is when E.T.'s all like pale and shriveled and he's just laying in that creek bed. That is really sad. That's a good one. I was Yeah, when they said E.T., I wasn't sure, but that might be it right I there. guess it's that or maybe just in general, there's some really like emotional moments. Like when you think he's dead. And, there's you know. a scene in E.T. where like, yeah, they're like in some sort of emergency room and Elliot's on like on one stretcher and E.T.'s on the other and he's screaming yeah. at E.T. like. Because like, you're killing him. He's dying. Right. He's like, yeah. Elliot. Uh, yeah, yeah that, maybe that's it. it. It's when the uh, the scientists come in with their like hazmat gear and they're all in the plastic right. gerbil 
runways and stuff. With walkie-talkies yeah. or guns? Which cut did you see? Guns all the way, buddy. Guns all the way. Original. <laughs> the, the orig. It's like Spielberg, Lucas, stop putzing around with your movies. Someone else said they just, it really made them sad how the bad guys treated Sloth and the Goonies. Ooh, talk about a hag. Sloth? No, the mean old lady, oh, the mom. yeah, throw mama from the train. Come on, boys. Like the, Come uh, on, boys. And whatever her name is, she plays a hag so well. So well. The top one is interesting, though. Do you want to take that, the first one? Yeah, so this is, wow, this brings back a lot of horrible memories. The only one that they this listener thinks compares uh, with the sense of horror, loss, and existential sadness, bonus points bonus there. Bonus points is the secret of Nim when the rats fell down the air shaft into the black abyss never to be seen again. That's another classic animation. Like, it's in that realm of, like, an American tale. Mm. But, man, that one's rusty. I haven't seen that in a long time. So, there, I mean, there are others, but the general consensus is, yeah, that was, this is really a bummer. Now, it took two months just to film the Swamp of Sorrows scenes mm. at $130,000 a day. Wow. So, the Swamp of Sorrows is a complicated set piece. There's this urban legend that the horse actually did die while trying to shoot this scene. This is false. The horse did not die filming this. But it took the trainer seven weeks to train the horse to stand on a hydraulic elevator hidden beneath the mud that would lower slowly down while they shot it. Oh, so that wasn't like a CG effect. No, there's all practical effect. Well, not wow. all practical effects, but th- the Swamp of Sorrows was. Hmm. A trainer loses our tax. Super sad. He's in there because he's trying to find Morla the Ancient One who'll help him out. Morla turns out to be a giant swamp tortoise. And as a kid, I loved this, A, because turtles, to this day, are my favorite animal. Great animal. But the turtle also keeps sneezing because it's allergic to Treyu. And I was like, hey, a character who has allergies. It's one of the first movie characters I ever saw who had allergies on screen. I was like, cool. I like and me. it was still hilarious after the fourth or fifth time. So many sneezes. So I said Spielberg helped punch this up for the American audience. Spielberg also directed Jurassic Park. So Atreyu climbs a tree to talk to Morla. Morla sneezes on him covered in snot. Tim Murphy, Alan Grant, little Lex climb a tree. Mm. Brachiosaurus sneezes on them. Snot. Do you think there's a connection? Is this where Spielberg got the reptilish type creature sneezing on children in trees idea? At least in Jurassic Park, if this was the same deal, in and out, one joke. One sneeze, we get it. This one just kept going on and I was like... Once again, I hope that nothing comes and takes me away because this movie is not going anywhere. <laughs> you talked about that one of the critics called this movie like the teenager's beginning guide to existentialism. Mm. And the turtles like that. Like like the a trainer was like, you can't stay here. You're going to die. And the turtle's like, die? Well, at least that would be something. Nothing matters. And yeah, this just feels like fundamental nihilism and existentialism. In this children's movie, this again, so painful. German book adapted to movie. Germans are a little serious. Next set piece is we meet Falcor, the Luck Dragon, who again is like, as you said, is one of the only things you remember from this movie. So you remet Falcor as an adult, rewatching this movie recently. Reactions to Falcor? I feel like this was the only instance of joy in this entire movie. So oh, okay. at least there was that. There, this movie is like. Scrape in the bottom of the barrel with the joy factor. So if Spielberg punched this up, I would hate to have seen the first cut. Woof. But at least when Falcor came along, it like it was actually enjoyable for a hot second. He had a personality, and like it was the whole like let's go fly in there, where everyone else is just being <laughs> dour and like nothing matters. I'm just sitting here waiting for the nothing. Yeah, it took itself way too seriously. 
I agree. Falcor brings a lot of levity. He's fun. It's a dragon that you can ride, which is cool. The face looks like a dog, which apparently the puppeteer said was not intentional. They just tried to design something cool and it happens to look a little like a dog on the dog face. A lot like a dog. To the point where it's in the script where he's like trying to get a scratch behind his ear like a dog when he goes and scratches behind his ear. Come on. Ooh, also remember, didn't uh, uh, Spielberg design Mogwai's after his dog, the family dog? That's right. Good memory. One trick pony. Dogs and sneezes. Dogs and sneezes. Yeah. He's stolen most of his entire career from this movie is what I'm learning. But like, I, it might have been one of my first introductions to a a helpful dragon, like a good dragon. Yeah, not a dragon you have to make a tenuous deal with. Right. You know, collect seven balls and hope it doesn't eat you so you can make a wish. So he's kind of cool. There are 25 puppeteers operating that luck dragon. That's a lot. His main thing is he brings luck. So we asked our class of 80s, hi, did you have a lucky charm as a kid, a talisman that was your lucky thing? One classmate said, I had a pair of red underwear I deemed lucky. There you go. Did you have a lucky thing as a kid? Was it like a thing that you had? I had favorite toys at different times, but never one that I thought was like my good luck charm. Okay. Did you? When I have ever received a $2 bill, I've always kept that in my wallet. I can't say I've had better luck when I've had it in my possession than not. That was a funny thing I think everyone did with $2 bills, is they would just keep them for some reason and not spend them. Yeah, you just never see them. Do you want to take the second one? Speaking of sport ball, my twins baseball hat. I grew up in Minnesota when the twins were good, so I was obsessed. Uh, hopefully you still are obsessed. Don't be a Fairweather fan. Uh, <laughs> you would rarely catch me outside of school or when it was 500 below zero, not wearing that hat. 500 below zero. So this person grew up on like the Neptune. ice planet. Yeah, of, exactly. Yeah. They're from Hoth. They're currently a construction right. worker on the Rebel base. So I cheer on the uh, the Hoth Tauntauns. They're my they're my team. <laughs> Whoever reads our announcements next, I really need the Mogwais to play the Tauntauns. That would be awesome. Also, I know this has to be a thing. A sleeping bag that's a Tauntaun you can zip yourself up in. I've seen it. In. Yeah, yeah. Okay. The, the I zipper, was like, this has to be a thing. The zipper's a lightsaber. Oh, so my God. So it opens God. up and the inside lining has guts on the inside. That is amazing. Okay, well done. What is that web? Think Geek. I think it was on Think Geek. Yeah, that sounds very Think Geek. Oh, it's awesome. Perfect. Okay. Anyway, the last one is so sincere. I love it. Mm. I didn't have a talisman, but I did have a grandmother who made my childhood magical. She would oh, take grandmas. us to carousels and movies, supply us with paint, pencils, and clay to make our own worlds. She gave us comics and books to spark our imaginations, and she let us wander around her beautiful garden and explore. She was definitely my magical friend, and my life was charmed when she was alive. That's amazing. Also, let's hope that she also, like all of our other grandparents, plied you with all those sweet treats and <laughs> just gave you all sorts of sugary- She had an entire cabinet that was straight sugar. It's like the Scrooge McDuck money pit, but it's just a sugar- Yes. A big sugar pit you can jump into. Yes. That's sweet. I love it. It's it's really good. So with the introduction of Falcor, we've now met all the main puppet characters in the movie. So we also asked the class of 80s high, excluding Falcor, because everybody loves Falcor, who are your favorite Fantasia characters? So 40% said the Rockbiter. 40% said Morla, the ancient one, the giant tortoise that I loved, that I thought was cool. Yeah. Uh, And then the the last little bit, 20% here, Gamork. 
Which, like, how could you love the wolf more than these other super cool things? I actually thought the wolf was my favorite. You like the wolf? Okay, well, a- answer that what I thought was going to be a rhetorical the question. The green eyes. It was the, gr- it was the green eyes. Oh. I thought it was cool. It's not like, if you saw a wolf with red or yellow eyes, you'd be terrified. You'd be like, yeah, that's a wolf. I expect green eye- If you see green eyes in a cave, you're like, oh, what's this? And then- you know, oh, He lures you in with his green eyes. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. All right. And he's like, I'm starving. And then eats him. So we get to- one of the set pieces, one of the scenes that as a kid I remember a lot from this movie is the Southern Oracle. And it strikes me because it's so different from the other set pieces because it's not like a normal terrain. It's not forest. It's not swamp. You know, it's this like creepy desert at night, this mystical starry sky desert. And so we meet this couple, these like mountain gnomes. And for some reason, my memory... <laughs> Had had that the husband was played by Billy Crystal. You're thinking of a different movie, and I know what you're. I, I can't th- think of. I it. think I'm thinking of um, Bride, Princess Bride, Princess Bride. So that's what it was. But I thought this was where he was the old wizard with chemicals. So totally had that messed up. Um, I'm jumping ahead to math class, but I'm just saying this scientist has become calls his wife wench three times. He's a dirtbag. He's a dirtbag. So I was really scared of the scene because like Atreyu's got to walk through these giant, super busty sphinxes. Oh my God. What is the plural of sphinx? Is it sphinxes? Sphinx eye? Sphincters? <laughs> Let's go with that one. Sphincters. So two the, the, the spy sphincters, if you're like not someone of courage or merit, they laser zap you and you explode. Yeah. And it is, there is a really good tense buildup in the directing of this scene and he gets yeah, close. Yeah, because it's like 12 minutes long. It takes long. forever. Oh right? my God. There's a big buildup. Oh but he gets God. close and like you see a knight that's going to go through and the knight blows up. And then when he gets close, the helmet visor lifts up and you see the, the guy's been burned to a crisp like it's a corpse. And the composer fell asleep on his keyboard. So it's, it's just like, well, who's that? Hans uh, Zimmer? The, 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 the um, Inception blouse. It's from Inception. Wow. So I had issues with the scene and I'm not the only one who did. First of all, when you look at this this valley that he has to walk through between the sphinxes, there's like the narrow path between the sphinxes and then each is behind like not even a mountain. They're sitting in front of like spires. You could easily walk around the backs of the sphinxes to go the direction sure. you need to go. I'm not underst- I'm not understanding why we need to go through the trap of pecs and laser eyes because the plot requires it. Reasons. Reasons, reasons. for reasons. The uh, the original author of the book, Ende, had real strong feelings about this scene. Did you find the quote on this? I did not. So, <laughs> But I'm looking forward to it. And he's super duper not on board with the busty laser shooting sphincters. For great reason. Quote, uh, the sphinxes are quite one of the biggest embarrassments of the film. They are full-bosomed strippers who sit there in the desert. I mean, he's not far off. So another interesting, we're doing this just because the plot needs it. The whole way to save the Empress is she needs a new name. Yeah. But no one from Fantasia is allowed to say it. Right. This seems like a leap in a plot tool. Well, this is also the point where I would have to argue Bastion is not as well read as he said he is because I was like, dude. I don't understand what's going on. Like, every time we go back to him, he's just derping his way through this novel. And I'm like, (laughs) you're not that smart. And this kid's not like, I read 100 books and they're like, Hardy Boys Mysteries and Highlights Magazine. I can't remember what books he quotes to the, like, 
the crotchety right, right. shopkeeper. Like, I read this and this and this and this. Literature. Right. That this kid claims to have read, and yet he's such a dirt bucket, he can't figure <laughs> out he's the one who has to say it. So we all have to sit through a very extended process of him being in denial, which was painful. Well, I mean, Siskel said, Siskel called him a dullard. Yeah. He's, he doesn't play a bright kid. Hard agree. Yeah, and we should point out, like, by now it's become very obvious that Bastion knows that they can hear him in Fantasia, and Fantasians seem to be aware of Bastion reading the book. I mean, come on, man, just pick a name. All I know is I think they drug the uh, the kid actor who played that princess, because she looked like she was about two winks away from just falling asleep right there. <laughs> It's that whole, like, I'm going to talk in a very drone voice. I am the childlike empress. It's like, oh, for mother <laughs> freaking sake. Oh now, my it's God. amazing she even pulled off that voice, though, because that actress did have her two front teeth busted out right before filming started. So she had prosthetic teeth put in and she had a lisp with them. And they're like, oh, God, we cast this kid. Probably one of her friends read the script and was like, you're in this movie? And just like, right, just jacked her in the face. She's like, you dummy. So anyway, she had to overcome that before she could even say these extremely boring, half-energy lines in this. Wow. Okay. So the Rockbite is telling the story about how the nothing came, and he's trying to hold on to Teeny Weeny and the little uh, like guy who flies the bat. Smealum. Smealum. <laughs> Smealum. As I'm calling him. He's sitting there. He's going to let the nothing take him away. He looks at his hands, and he's going, they look like good, strong hands, don't they? The nothing pulled these guys away, and he's like, I'm just going to let the nothing take me. I'm not going to try. You're a giant. No one's bigger or stronger than you on this entire planet. What are you doing, dude? Listen, if this movie's in any indication of the joylessness that is Fantasia, that's the actual name. Fantasy. Right. Fantastical. Right. Allegedly, this place is so drab and dull. It is nothing but swamps and deserts, weirdo creatures. It's endless dark why are we trying to preserve this place? Lean into the nothing. <laughs> Just let it. Oh my god! Maybe that's why they're all letting them take them. They're like some I, places I don't need to be saved. <laughs> Just take the luck dragon and get the crap out of there. Well, I've got good news for you. The nothing wins, and it destroys Fantasia. But, but... then Atreyu is riding Falcor's back through space, and neither are dead. I don't know if you know this. Space is a vacuum, and there's no oxygen. Did that catch you at all that they're just flying through space and they're not Ben, there's dead? so much of this movie that is ridiculous. This is not a point I was going to sort of draw a uh, a line of like, wait a minute, is this plausible? This entire movie is a wreck and a half. Come on. Thing, like, I'm I'm okay when when media decides to break normal laws of physics. That's okay. I can do that. But you're, I feel like your law breaking needs to be consistent. And so, like, if we're concerned about a horse going into the mud because it's going to drown because there's no air, you can't then also have people in space where there's no air being totally cool and breathing and talking. I take your point. So the Empress, Falcor, and Atreyu are arguably the only survivors of the nothing-destroying Fantasia. And the Empress is crying another big quotable line for this movie, Say my name! Bastion, say my name! And for some reason, he can't. He's freaking out in the real world. Just say something and move this plot along, kid. Now, in the movie, it's not really clear what name he finally yells out the window. But you started the show off that you do know the name. 
only because I looked it up because he just screamed. Like after all that buildup, he just screamed something out the window. And I'm like, what did he even just say? It was so annoying. Right. You built it all the way up and he just blah, blah, And then I don't think they ever say it again. No, but the name that he gives her is Moonchild. Moonchild. Interesting enough is 50% of the names at Woodstock uh, the year before, which is pretty oh, absolutely. good. Moonchild. It's hard to get you to shut up in this episode about all your warm memories of the Neverending Story. But if I can just interject real quick, uh, we did ask the class of 80s high, what other memories did you have from the Neverending Story? And so everybody here pretty much said the song. The song is a banger. They remember the song. That's what really sticks with them. So someone else, though, agrees with both of us. They were like, my older sister and I loved this movie. But I remember not understanding it. Like, seriously, the nothing? What? Who writes this stuff? Ende. Ende writes it, and then Wolfgang went nuts on it. Yeah. So another listener said, this is probably one of the first introductions to the genre of fantasy, so it'll always have my love. Plus, come on, man, that theme song is killer. Mm -hmm. I never read the book that it's based off of, but supposedly the film only covers the first half of it. Indeed correct. Would like to read that someday, and I'm sure you guys will talk about it, but the third film in the series is just awful. Its version of Falcor is terrifying, and Jack Black plays a bully villain. Had I known wow. that before, I would have worked much harder to find the third movie. Just hearing Jack Black like, yeah, like yeah. as a villain. <laughs> I am the monster. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. Great. We do have a proper fan who responded here, said, oh man, the movie is awesome. I do love it when Atreyu does the challenges and the Sphinxes shoot lasers from their eyes. Love when Atreyu meets Falcor, when Bastion has the conversation with the childlike Empress, when the Gamork fights Atreyu, the Rockbiter talking about losing his friends to the nothing with such big hands. And yes, yeah, mm. so I did read in that Gamork fight that it actually like really hurt Atreyu. Like I guess it's a big robotic and a felonum hurt the actor and like the claw missed his eye by like an inch. Like almost he almost lost an eye in the bite wow. choreography there. Thank you all for sharing that. I mean, you know, it can't just be us two talking about this stuff all the time. So it's good to have your input. Indeed. Chris, I know it's just been oozing with nostalgia and delight and love of this production. Is there anything else you want to talk about the movie itself? I just want to tell you my favorite part when I got to hit the stop button and (laughs) exit out of the app. Oh, what a treat. Well, I am famished from talking through all that. I know this isn't on the menu, but I'm hoping to go down there, find a little limestone, dig up a little quartz, yeah. uh, you know, really just get those fruity pebbles going on in my tummy. Let's just go chomp on some rocks. I hear it's good for your teeth. Also, I do have to say, we should have called this class geology instead of chemistry. Ah, it's too late now. It's too late. It's too, it, late. too late. Anyway, yeah, let's go gnaw on some, uh, some limestone and... We'll catch you after. Uh, yeah, speed snail. Yeah. Miramax Family Films presents Jason James Richter, the star of Free Willy, in the never-ending story three, Escape from Fantasia. Based on the best-selling book by Michael Ende, the adventure continues for everyone who loves the series. The never-ending story. All your favorite characters are back in an all-new movie about a young man... Bastion. ...whose destiny is controlled by a magical storybook. How can something that's happening right now be in this book? Every move you make is part of your story. But Bastion's story... 
has fallen into the wrong hands. Maybe we could make a few things happen to him. The Nasties must have the never-ending story. They're the ones making all this stuff happen. Help me! This evil force comes from the human world. This is my story, and I'm not going to let it happen. Now, he'll risk everything. How is he going to get the book away from these thugs? To save two worlds. Hurry up, let's go. You can own the never-ending adventure and the never-ending fun. Your body's gone. Well, your body went years ago. Your whole family will enjoy. Take a journey beyond your imagination. The Never-Ending Story 3. Escape from Fantasia. Oh, sorry. I actually ate the speed snail. I had some escargot. <laughs> some escar- oh, because it's a racing snail, escargot. I get oh. it because it goes. Ah. And sleepy bat. Why did the bat need to be sleepy? Uh, another interesting choice for the plot. Why did a lot of things need to happen yeah, in this movie? That's really a good question. So, contemporary culture, strangely enough, things did come from this movie. Two sequels. Two sequels. So, I discovered, and I didn't even really know this. So, I have the Neverending Story on DVD, but when you flip it over, it has the sequel. It's really bad. Let's not get too far into it, but yeah. it's terrible. Quick hot takes. Quit hot takes. Like fast food. I will be honest takes. with you. I have so blacked out from even watching that thing. I clearly did not enjoy this movie. And I was like, I'm going to watch the sequel, which by all accounts was way worse. And indeed it was. There's a creepy bird uh, creature oh my God. guy in it. That's sort of like Howard the Duck, but um, creepier, if that's possible. I'm trying to remember what else. There were these weird monsters shooting lasers. There's a really campy empress villain, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, and there's a guy with a spinning head. It's almost like when you play a slot machine and his head spins around and it's a different face. Yeah. All different actors. Yes. Jonathan Brandis plays Bastion. So that was the only exciting thing that pulled me in is like, so Jonathan Brandis famous for what in the 90s? I honestly could not remember the stuff he's in. Wasn't he in Sequest? Sequest, or and I was never okay. even like a Sequest fan, but no, I just I knew either. that he was the jam on Sequest. Oh, he was also in Ladybugs with. Um, oh my god, oh my Rodney god. Dangerfield! Rodney Dangerfield! Yeah, and I'm sure he's been in tons of other stuff. We're probably not naming his best properties. Yeah, but such a hard turn from the original actor. But I do believe one actor did carry over the crotchety old bookstore owner. The bookstore is in it. Yeah, he's still same in guy. It. Same guy. But the dad, a completely different guy. Oh, yeah. Like, they just took this in a hard right direction. Like, he's afraid of heights. I don't... Like, he's on the diving team, which I guess was a real thing in the book. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, I mean, that's one of my first hot takes is he's... He establishes that he's terrified of heights. And having just finished the first movie where he flies a luck dragon above the clouds, no problem. So that doesn't make any sense. That's true. It is bonkers. Um, and part of some parts of the plot are really hard to follow, but the height thing really stuck out to me. Jonathan Brandis from Sequest really stuck out to me. I honestly remember nothing about the plot. Isn't she's trying to steal his memories? Yeah, something like each time he uses right. he can make wishes on the Orin. Each time he does, he loses a memory, and they're basically trying to make him lose his mind so he doesn't go back to the real world. Like he's in he's in Fantasia this time. And they take him back to like his final memory, which is a memory of his his mom, I think, mom or dad, or dad. I think the last two were his mom and dad, and he keeps doing these series of adventures, knowing that it's basically like it's like an old VHS. He's recording over it, losing all of his memories. And this was apparently like more or less what the book ends this way. Like this is, I don't think a lot of the garbage is in it, but it's like this is more or less the plot of the second half of the actual book. Yeah, yeah. It's just translated in a very bad way. It's a real rough watch. Oh, yeah. 
But we also asked the class of 80s, hi, did you ever watch the sequel? And 60% of our respondents said, yes. That's a lot. And 40% said, maybe, question mark. No one said confidently no. <laughs> it was either yes or it's so forgettable I might have forgotten. Highly forgettable. Absolutely. And so we asked them, what do you remember from it? There's three memories that are kind of fun because they're sort of like half memories. Like they're sort of not confident about what they've got. Always great. Always great. So the first one goes, uh, somebody said, very little outside of a computer game where we had to run around a castle avoiding those tall black things with claws. Uh, There's these like giant beetle monsters in the movie. Uh, Somehow they became lightning fast when they saw you. And I can vividly remember how that made me mad. They're huge. They can't be that fast. Another listener said, uh, not much. It was a blonde kid now, and there was some beetle dude bad guys and a rock biter baby. Oh, my God. With a very uncanny valley face <laughs> on that baby. It was too humanoid. Like, it was creepy. And this other person, it's just half memories after half memories. So different actors played Atreyu and Bastion. There was an evil queen as the main big bad, and I think she was like... The childlike Empress's sister? Question mark. Mm. She makes Bastion evil for a hot second. Bastion goes Fantasia as opposed to just reading the book. I only saw this movie once in theaters. This person saw the sequel in theaters. Oh, what a letdown. I was disappointed that none of the original actors reprised their roles, but they were probably grown up by then. But that bookshop owner, he was itching <laughs> to do another. And he, when the dad shows up when Bastion's missing and he brings the book, the bookshop owner is basically like, you should be a better father and know where your kid's at. Like, I was, trying to, I was trying to think of that as modern day adults. Like, if someone's kid was missing and they came to your mouth, you're like, wow, that sounds like a problem you've got to deal with. Yeah. Like, not helping them. The child's lost. You sound like a garbage parent. Right. This is nuts. All right. So we've, we've gotten through the sequels. There were, in fact, sequels. Let's talk about the song. So there was a song that was really popular for this. People love the Never Ending Story theme song. It has been covered by Armanite, The Birthday Massacre, Creamy, Dragonland, Kenji Haga, and The Newfound Glory, which is actually the cover that I knew. And they just did like punk rock covers of movie soundtracks. Oh, ah, okay. Uh, Newfound Glory, I actually really loved in uh, high school. Uh, and so I was like, oh, I've, I've heard that cover. That's a great cover. Hmm. Um, but you had mentioned this when I brought this up at the top of the show last time, at the end of the show last time. There's a very recent revitalization of this theme song, a cover of it. Uh, Stranger Things. Right. So in 2019, in the final, in the season finale of season three of Stranger Things, Dustin and Susie sing it together. <laughs> ah, okay. It's like there's summer love that's blossoming and they yeah, sing the Never Ending Story I haven't seen it in a while, so I need to go back and watch it. Like, I didn't even remember them doing that. And they really go at it hard. It's not just like, hey, the Never Ending Story, and they like sing a few lyrics. They're belting They sing out. like the whole song on screen, these two kids. Oh, wow. You said kind of meh, though. You don't feel like it's a banger? You don't really like the theme song? There's just not much to it. I mean, it's not bad, but it's if I think like, oh, I want to listen to some 80s nostalgia songs, this would never be on the list. Interesting. There's plenty of other 80s songs I would just love to listen to. For this sure. This one's like, eh. If I were to make somebody a playlist of movie theme songs from the 80s, I would definitely have The NeverEnding Story on there. In that very specific instance, Very specific sure. instance. And you watched the music video I sent to you. Oh, my Lord. They're just like playing around in like steam pipes in a boiler room. Is that the boiler room of the high school is what I wonder? I think that's the boiler room where Freddy Krueger attacks For everybody. Sure. It's yeah. super – it's a weird music video. It's so bizarre. So what would be one of the most interesting turns Noah Hathaway's career took after The NeverEnding Story? What do you think he did to make some moolah? I don't remember what he got into. So he tried his hand at martial arts as a trainer. 
But then for a long stint, he was a tattoo artist. Okay. And he was quoted, I couldn't do another Orin tattoo because I did 15 in three weeks. And then he's like, okay, the shtick's not funny after 10 times. Yeah. And uh, in Spielberg's sort of token for having punched up the movie, he has the actual Orin in, in his office, allegedly. Hmm. So, oh, this is a show you've mentioned a couple times. So The Simpsons, in an episode, New Kid on the Block. Lionel Hutz claims to have filed a lawsuit against the film for fraudulent advertising. Uh, and then Korn. Do you remember the band Korn? Yeah. So Korn has an album called The Nothing, and it is named directly in reference to The Nothing from The NeverEnding Story. Uh, frontman Jonathan Davis chose the titles. He was still struggling with the death of his estranged wife, Devin Davis. And he said, quote, I was struggling with the thing that's chasing me, that's always freaking with me. I tried to give it a name. And it just fit. Hmm. So as of 2009, Warner Brothers, the Kennedy Marshall Company, and Leonardo DiCaprio's Apian Way Productions were in the early stages of creating another adaptation of the novel. They intended to examine the more nuanced details of the book rather than remake the original film by Peterson. In 2011, Kathleen Kennedy, who's, I mean, a legend, she's a really big deal in, in film production, said that problems securing the rights to the story may mean a second adaptation is not meant to be. So Kathleen Kennedy, I mean, she's greenlit a lot of super famous movies. DiCaprio's studio is involved, Warner Brothers. Do you feel a decade ago, 2011, we could have gotten a better never-ending story? Or was it just like, this German book cannot be made into an American movie? Well, I would argue personally that there's no good story here to make into something better. Oh. Nothing about this entire story captivated me in any way possible. That is a broad and conclusive statement. Look, if you love the movie, you love it. I am not going to fault anyone for enjoying this movie. I do not try to stomp on other people's joy. But bless me, bless me, I had a hard, hard time trying to find anything redeeming about this entire property. Oh so goodness. to answer your question, I don't think so. They couldn't have personally. Again, it's so dour. Like, right. joy, folks, joy. It's not that hard. I would love to see somebody try and take a crack at it. Maybe there's a better way to do it. It'd be too much CGI. They'd mess it up a different way, frankly. That's right. There's just something special about, like, practical effects. I mean, the puppets looked fine. Like, I mean, it was good puppet work. I mean, for the time, the effects and everything. I mean, I mean they weren't the best, but it, it looked nice. But now they just CG everything and Falco right. would be flying around upside oh down God. and it'd just be silly. So they try and do some CG and then everything's starting when Falco flies and it looks real bad. I mean, it's 1984. So, yeah. But if you want to fly Falcor, you know you still can if you'd like to. If you go to Munich... There is Bavaria Filmstadt, which is sort of mm. a theme park for movies. And they have the Falcor puppet with a saddle. And you can go sit on Falcor and get your picture taken on the Falcor. Well, how about that? How about that? That's pretty much all I could find on what has come from the never-ending story. All right. Anything else? Contemporary culture influences. There's a lot of fantasy out there, but I can't think of anything that feels like this specific property influenced it other right. than, you know, the obvious sequels. I will say, and I'm not sure this is a direct influence. I don't know the history of it, but I mentioned The Page Master at the top of the episode. The Page Master is an animated mm. movie, mid-90s. Macaulay Culkin, young Macaulay Culkin, this is shortly after the Home Alone films, uh, is reading this book and he gets sucked into it and it's a fantasy world. And it's actually uh, – that's actually a really fun movie. But it is sort of a kid reading a book pulled into the story and influencing the story. Yeah. I can't say that was inspired by the never-ending story, but there is that continuation of that idea. 
Sure. As we're about to walk out of contemporary culture, the math class, I think I know what's going to happen in math class, but I'm still curious. I feel like we can't just skip school. We have to go to math class. This is an open book test. You know all of the right. things. It's at your fingertips for sure. Uh, so let's uh, let's go down the hallway. I'm not riding a luck dragon. You ate the snail. So I'm going to ride a, a large rock-shaped big wheel. I'm going to surf on a sphinx's eye beam lasers. <laughs> oh my god, my calves are burning, my quads are dead. Do you have any idea what it's like to pedal a rock wheel? That is a workout. That's like if you were on an exercise bike and you set the tension up to infinity. Yeah, it was, and I, I crushed the tile floor the whole way here. It was stupid. But your core has never been stronger, so worth it. We are here in math class to decide. How does the never-ending story hold up 2021? Yes. I, I like to try and look at these movies and TV shows we look at and see, like, what about progressive culture doesn't necessarily hold up anymore? So there's just a little thing where Bastion is talking to the bookstore owner about the bullies that keep pestering him in the alley. And the bookstore owner tells him to punch the bullies in the face. Mm-hmm. He mocks Bastion for not knowing enough books. He's like, you don't read, you don't know books. And he's actively smoking a pipe around the kid. All three of these things, very uncommon ways to treat and talk to and behave around children today. I mean, mentoring children to go actively pick fights is not a normal thing you do with kids now. And not in like a fun, teasy kind of way, but like, you don't know books, like you can't read. And I mean, come on. I know this is the highlight, the high days of Joe Camel around here, but you just don't smoke around children. That's not an arguable stance. We all know about secondhand smoking. You're not like, yeah, it's fine to smoke around kids. No, you shouldn't do that. That character doesn't hold up really well, but that's my big like cultural thing that doesn't transfer to modern day. I see. I think we know where you sit, but would you like to put a fine point on it on this movie? Ben, I'm always interested in your uh, the stances you take on certain things that you feel yes. don't hold up. I always find it very comical. I'm like, what's Ben going to take like a hard stance on? And it's usually something very niche. That's interesting. Yeah. All right, folks, listen. The prosecution has laid out its case <laughs> against the defendant. And I ask you, what is the real crime that was committed here? Is it the name Bastion Balthazar Bucks? Is it this tale of an innocent minor escalating from petty theft towards serious, perhaps even deadly criminal acts? Or was it the production and release of this movie, plus the personal damage suffered by having to endure the entire film in my own home? <laughs> we asked the jury to return a verdict of guilty of negligent storytelling, <laughs> theft of personal time and enjoyment, and recompensation oh. for damages. Oh my god. Final ruling. This movie is all about theft in terms of the protagonist's actions, ripping off the Fantasia name, and a thief of time. My time. <laughs> I tried really hard to think of something that I enjoyed about this movie. I cannot come up with anything, Ben. Wow. I really cannot. So it's just like across the board, top to bottom, T to B, does not hold up at it all. It was a painful watch. Yeah. It didn't do it for me. Sorry. And I love that you have such a formalized... Right up, like you actually have a legal briefing you'd like to submit to the court. As I started thinking about this movie, I was like, this is my way into and out of it. This was a crime. Oh my God. <laughs> this was a crime. <laughs> that's so good. But anyway, that's my that's my feeling. So I was so excited this week to get to math class with you on this topic because I have a, okay. pretty, I have a pretty hot take. Even though the music video is kind of rough, 
I do like the theme song. Mm. If you're an 80s kid who liked this movie when you were a kid, you know the words to it. You know the chorus. When it gets back to the chorus, never ending story, you sing along. It's fun. I think the theme song is the only thing that holds up for this movie, I, which shocked me because I had warm nostalgia about this film. And then when I watched That's it- That's why you picked it, right? I wasn't as angry as you like to write a legal briefing that I wanted, <laughs> that I want on record, but I was just, oof. I think the acting is pretty poor across the board. Again, I think the Artax scene in the swamp is pretty impressive. Like, that's good. Sure. The visual effects, pretty freaking bad. Like, I talked about the tr- like a Falcor flying. Mm. It just pulls you out of it when it's so broken. And now that I know how much the author hated the movie, it sort of taints it for me. To know, like, the original storyteller is like, this is not my story, and it's bad, and I hate it. And specifically, yeah. here are the scenes that I hate. Right. This is hard for me to say, but, like... Because you know, I have such a deep respect for artistry. We both do of so creative sure. artistry of so many different crafts, and I don't want to diminish that. Many different artists worked hard to make this movie happen, and the end piece, yes, all of it together, does not. I don't think it holds up. I know you said you thought the puppets were pretty good for the time. I think the puppets are really mediocre. After I think mm. about, it. and what's crazy because my memory was like, I love all the puppets, I love all the characters, but then when I watch them again, and I think about what like Stan Winston was doing at the time, what Jim Henson Studios Arts, were doing at right, the time, right. what Lucas was knocking out, and I look at these puppets, they feel, they feel stiff, they don't feel alive when they move, they don't feel natural, they feel disjointed. So the core part that I loved about it, this cast of colorful puppets, when I watch it now, I'm like. Oh, like, come on. What is this? So I think when I look back at all the topics we've done on 80s High, this is one of the few things where I would say, like, I'm not really sure you should go revisit this. I think mm. I think this is one of the properties where if you do feel warmly about the never-ending story and you haven't watched it in 15 years, don't. Just leave it in if, your memory. Yeah, if you don't want that memory to get tainted, <laughs> leave yeah. it there because who you were as a kid or at your age, when you watch it in that time and age – it was good for you in that moment. But mm. now with all the content and life and story that we've experienced since, if you go to watch it now, I think you're going to hurt that memory you have of it. This is a rare time where I'm going to say, like, I, I don't think this is worth going back to. You heard it here, folks. Enter at your own risk. <laughs> so the never-ending story. We did it, and it turns out, if it's on this podcast, it is an ending story, because I don't think we have anything else to say about it. Well, then... Speaking of stories, do you want to talk about the story of next episode's topic? I have another layer of excitement for the surprise this week. Oh, why is that? Uh, Because I'm not only excited for what you're going to put out there. Because whatever topic you choose, I have a variety of three topics in the staple that based on what you choose, I know that I'm going to choose next. You're like the chess player thinking moves ahead. That's exactly it, because we just finished watching The Queen's Gambit on Netflix. Ah, okay. So my mind is in this very chess area. So I'm both excited for what you bust out on us this week, but also because what it'll trigger for what I want to do the following week. Next week's topic is something that inspired me from a recent event. Uh, it's, It's a tragic event. Oh, no. This last week, we lost one of the great storytellers that was very Mm. formidable in my childhood. Yeah, yeah. At the age of 104. I mean, what a life. That's amazing. She is Beverly Cleary. Mouse and the Motorcycle. 
Ralph S. Mouse. Ralph S. Also, Mouse. Also, stories of Henry Huggins, Ribsy, Ramona, and Beezus, Quimby, and a whole other cast Beezus. of characters. Ramona. So what I thought we could do is honor the memory and the influence of Beverly Cleary by revisiting some of her works, particularly her 80s works, mm. and just talk about the career that she had and the influence she had on young kids growing up in the 80s. And so next week... On 80s High, I'd like to celebrate the storyteller, the librarian, and the author. That is Beverly Cleary. That's awesome. That's a wonderful choice. I'm excited for it. Very timely and a great way to honor an incredible storyteller and influencer, inspirational writer of the decade. Great pick. Very excited. All right. So we'll catch you next week on 80s High. Thanks, everyone, for listening to 80s High Podcast by Ben and Chris. Our theme song is by Greg Reed at gregreedmusic.com with vocals by Chad Bumford. Show artwork is by Alex Goddard at alexgoddarddesign.com. If you like the show, please support us by passing a note to a friend in your next class. Also, you can rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts to help spread the rumor. Stay radical. Stay radical.